0: again. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Guide to Existence, where we explore the Torah portion of the week, according to Jewish mysticism, with an emphasis on a mitzvah. And this week, it's really exciting, (coughs) because for the past several weeks, since the beginning of the Torah, we have been trying our best to find a mitzvah each week, even though there weren't always mitzvahs to discuss. But starting this week, every single Parsha of the Torah has mitzvahs for the most part. Because now it's really beginning the, the Torah of Moses that Moshe taught the Jewish people leading up to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai in two weeks from now. So what's really cool about this week's Parsha, which is Parsha's Bo, which means come, is that according to Rashi, this is when the Torah actually should have started. So everything that we've heard until now was an introduction that Rashi says was not 100% necessary. The real Torah begins in this week's Parsha. So I want to explain to you what that means. Okay, but quickly, just a very quick overview. This week's Parsha, we are introduced to the three, the last three of the Makos the plagues the 10 plagues in Egypt so we have three the last three in this week's partial. we have the plague of um, locusts followed by the plague of darkness and then ending with machos bekhoros, the death of the firstborn and in between there's an interlude that is very seemingly out of place There's a very long interlude in between the plague of darkness and the death of the firstborn with the mitzvah that begins with a Chodesh Hazel Lechem, which is that this month is the first month of the year for you. And it is the mitzvah of counting the months, what's known as Rosh Chodesh or Kiddush HaChodesh, sanctifying the new moon. And that is, ladies and gentlemen drum roll please the very first mitzvah given to the jewish people what is it this is a trivia question i really wanted to make a video of this uh but i didn't get around to it what was the first mitzvah giving to the jewish people oh counting the... thank you someone was listening counting the rosh chodesh counting the new month <laughs> ah so to be fruitful and multiply was the first mitzvah given to mankind that was a mitzvah given to adam and eve the the first mitzvah given to the jewish people as a nation is the mitzvah of counting the moon the months and sanctifying the months and i'll explain to you how that mitzvah works so that's a mitzvah we're going to discuss tonight there is and what we need to understand is why is this the first mitzvah given to the jewish people why is it that this mitzvah appears in between the plague of darkness and the death of the firstborn. Why is it suddenly in the middle followed by a lengthy list of the mitzvahs of Passover, taking the the Paschal lamb, dipping it in bitter herbs, um, putting the blood on the doorposts, not eating comets, leaven products. there are a total of twenty mitzvahs in this week's Parsha, and basically all of them are related to passover. And finally at the end of the parsha there's another mitzvah which for some reason is not counted as a mitzvah. And that is the mitzvah of tefillin. It's not for some reason counted as the mitzvah for tefillin. The mitzvah of tefillin we're going to actually learn much later when we learn the Shema, but th- there are uh twice at the end of this week's parsha it says you should write these signs on your arm and wear them as a sign between your eyes which is the exact same thing it says about tefillin. And so inside the tefillin that we wear is actually written the Shema, as two paragraphs of Shema, as well as the two paragraphs in this week's Parsha that mentions putting these signs on your arm and between your eyes. So we have to also understand the significance of the mitzvah of tefillin and what tefillin has to do with the exodus from Egypt. Again, tefillin are black leather boxes. That are worn specifically by men if there's time we can discuss why men and they are worn each day inside the tefillin is in the arm is two paragraphs of shema in the head is two paragraphs of shema plus two paragraphs from this week's parsha. what's the significance the tefillin is wrapped on the arm seven times a strap around the arm and then it's put above the eyes and the head on the place of the head where the baby's skull is still soft for a few um, maybe even months after birth their baby's skull hasn't fully formed there's an opening right here that's where the tefillin's supposed to be warm two straps come down over the heart what's the significance of the so that's what we're going to discuss tonight so again why should the torah have begun with this week's parsha and according to rashi why was the mitzvah of sanctifying the new moon. The first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. Why is this mitzvah given in between the plague of darkness and the death of the firstborn? And what's the connection to Tephilim? To so let us begin. So as we know, or maybe we don't know. But the Egyptians worshipped a lot of different gods. But one of their primary gods, or a few of them, was the sheep, and the significance of the Paschal Lamb was one of the mitzvahs of uh, thing. one of the ideas. There is to take the god that the Egyptians worshipped and to sacrifice it. We've discussed that this that together before. Um, another thing they worshipped was the sun, the sun god, and if I remember correctly. Um, from my childhood, the god that they worshipped was named Ra, which in Hebrew means evil, um, and it was the sun god. So they worshipped the sun. They worshipped the sheep. What's the significance there? Um, so the sun represents the idea of consistency. The sun rises and sets. The cycle of the sun is is constant. Um, The sun, therefore, represents the world of nature. That which is remains the same. Every day is 24 hours. Yeah, we know that the sun has different sets earlier and later every day, but more or less the sun is a constant in our life. The day represents consistency, which has to do with the idea of nature, which doesn't change. Nature, which is programmed to exist a certain way. Paro, when... He's introduced to Moshe uh, two weeks ago. He says, who is Hashem? I never heard of Hashem. And the commentaries explain that Paro didn't know Hashem, the name yud Hey vav He, which significance the source of existence, that who creates something from nothing. The idea that Hashem creates from absolute nothingness. But Paro did know that another name for God. The name Elohim, which means the forces of nature, the God mask, the mask of the hidden world of nature that God created in order to hide himself. That Paro knew because Paro was well aware of the world of nature. And that's why the Egyptians worshiped gods of nature, as did most pagans. They understood of the God that existed within nature. They didn't understand God that was beyond this world. It says many times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelis, there is nothing new under the sun. Ein chadash tachas there's nothing new under the sun. Now, if you put on your Talmudic hat, whenever you make a statement in the Talmud, you always have to ask yourself, and you use your thumb to do this, what's the statement coming to imply? What can I deduce from the statement? If I tell you there's nothing new under the sun, what's the Talmudic teaching going to tell you? What's being deduced from reading between the words? There's nothing new under the sun. This is called a diuk in Hebrew. It means a deduction. If I tell you um if I tell you, let me think of a good example. Akiva, what's an example of a duke? One second, I'm asking my son. Faster. All right, he's not coming up with anything. Okay. Well, not necessarily. My son wants to say if you say I like chocolate ice cream. So, it could be it could mean that you also like other stuff, but it could also mean I like chocolate ice cream, but I don't like vanilla. Right? So, um I think I'm I'm not giving a good example. I'm sorry. Put on your Talmudic hat. What is the Talmud going to deduce if I tell you there's nothing new under the sun? Okay, excellent. That's a great guess. There's something new under the moon. Very good. But that's not what the Talmud says. What else? Ah, but there's nothing new under the sun, but over the sun there is something new and that's the what that that is what we are deducing here but but Jaylen's is also very valid and i think is also true so under the sun there's no such thing as newness in the world of nature everything is programmed by the master programmer we live in the world of the matrix everything that exists around us was programmed to exist from the beginning of time and there's nothing new in the world of nature but beyond the world of nature above the sun in the world of the spiritual everything is new and that's the idea of a miracle a miracle is that god reprograms nature for a split second literally the laws of nature are suspended that's the world of the spiritual so the idea of the sun is that everything is is the same. Everything is constant. The idea of the moon, however, is that everything is new. Because you see, the moon follows a monthly cycle. The the month the lunar cycle is 29 and a half days long. And the moon goes through a process of waxing and waning, culminating in the new moon where the moon is completely hidden. Uh, After 29 and a half days, and then reappears on either the 30th or the 31st day. So that's where we get the idea of a 30 day month. The word month comes from the word moon. And in Hebrew, the word month is Chodesh, which means. What does Chodesh mean? Chadash comes from the word Chadash, which means newness. Because the moon represents renewal. And therefore, the moon, if the sun signifies nature, the moon sig- signifies the supernatural, the world of the spiritual, where things are constantly renewing. And by that token, also rising and falling, waxing and waning, because the spiritual world is a world of growth. So the moon signifies the world of the spiritual. Now, The Jews are commanded to count months. Is the Jewish calendar solar or lunar? (laughs) Oh, lunar or a mix? Excellent. The lunar, the Jewish calendar is a mix. Now, based on this verse, Natora, you would think that it is purely lunar, because it says you should count months. But the reality is, is from the very same verse that tells us to count months, we also learn to also count a solar calendar as well. Why? Because as we mentioned, the solar the lunar year month is 29.5 days. The solar year is 365 days. If you fit 29 and a half into 365 they don't go 12 29 and a half days equals 354 days so if you take 12 months you don't get a solar year and therefore the muslim calendar which is a purely lunar calendar is always 11 days off which means every three years a month is a month earlier in the solar calendar, so therefore, every nine years a month is a whole season off, and therefore Ramadan travels around the solar clock. You can have Ramadan in the winter, you can have Ramadan in the summer. it's not attached in any way, shape or form to the solar calendar that's the that's the Muslim calendar. The Christian calendar, on the other hand, has no real connection to months. it's completely dependent upon the sun the western calendar there are months which they got from us but the months in the secular calendar have nothing to do with the moon they're not based upon when the, the the moon appears the jewish calendar however is based on the months are declared according to the sighting of the new moon in jerusalem well not exactly biblically it's dependent upon the sighting of the new moon by two kosher witnesses in jerusalem but nowadays, since we don't have a high court or a temple, so it goes according to a fixed calendar, but that fixed calendar is still largely based as closely as was calculated a few thousand years ago, and we're still following the same calendar, is, is largely based upon the lunar cycle. So we're not keeping it 100% anymore because we're not able to, because we, we're not back in our land as an entire nation. But someday again, we will. But it still is largely based upon the the lunar calendar. But there's a catch. Because it says in the description of Passover, it says that we came out of Egypt in the springtime. And we should guard Passover, which the Torah calls Chag Ha'aviv, the festival of springtime which is a big problem. Not only Passover, Passover is not the only problem. All the holidays are based upon the harvest. We have the springtime festival, Passover. Suk, uh, Shavuos is the Chag Hakatsir, the cutting festival, when the grain is cut in the field, then it's left out to dry. And then Sukkis is called Chag HaAsif, the harvest festival when you bring in the grain from the field and store it in the barn for the winter. So I actually saw this whole process when we lived in Israel. We lived across the street from a field, from mountains, literally empty mountains. And uh, every morning we would see the Arab shepherds come out with their sheep and, and walk in the fields. It was amazing. Um, now, those mountains from across the street where we lived in Ramat Be are no longer there. They're now apartment buildings. But when we were there, it was amazing. We could go hiking out in the mountains. It was a little dangerous because there were a lot of Arabs who used to travel from, um, from the Palestinian territories into um Chamish to work every day. And so there were stories of people getting attacked and things like that sometimes. So it was a little scary, but that heightened the excitement of being out there. And there were also um, literally ruins all over. Wine presses, um, mikvahs. I found a cave one time. It was like literally like underneath a ruin. So it might not have been a cave. It was probably like a storage room of a house or some sort of a burial um, cave. And we, we literally like crawled into this cave and we discovered this pottery shard. And it was unbelievable. Very, very, very amazing stuff out there. Uh, Again, um, I'm not sure what they've done with that now that it's all apartments. But anyway, we used to see literally across the field from our house. Passover time, the grass, the grain starts growing. Sukhas time, they cut it. They leave it out to grow. I mean, the Shavuos, they cut it. They leave it out to grow. Sukhas, they gather it in. And and, uh, so that's, that's literally the same process. So in order for that to work, we can't have a lunar year. The year has to be also solar. So in order to do that, we have a special month called a like a an Uber month, a pregnant month, where uh we get an extra month every few years. And that actually takes place next month, the month of other. And this year we do have a, an extra month. We have a leap month this year. So we're gonna have two months of other this year. And we do that keep things. No. Doesn't have to do with the does doesn't have to do with the seven year cycle. Just has to do with keep making sure that Passover always falls out in the springtime. So we keep a solar and a lunar year. So there's something significant about that, right? Christians are solar, Muslims lunar, Jews right in the middle, and it comes out like that in everything, right? Um, Shabbos is Saturday. Christians moved it to Sunday. Muslims moved it to Friday, right? Um, there's a lot of examples like this uh, what else what else what's another example um, the The Christians write from right to left. the Muslims write from left to right, and Jews write from left to right, but the crowns on the Torah go from right to left, so it's a combo significant yes, very, not for now, okay. So moving right along. So the Torah is telling us that we have to have a balance between spiritual and physical. The moon represents the spiritual. The sun represents the physical. We have to have a balance. We have to live in a world of both. But the first mitzvah is the, the mitzvah of counting the months. What, again, is the significance? So when was the world created? When did God create the world? On Rosh Hashanah. Excellent. On Rosh Hashanah. And when did that take place? In the month of Tishray And how long ago? 5,770 something years ago. The answer is wrong. Incorrect answer. When did God create the world? There are a bunch of answers to that question, actually. There are a bunch of answers to this question. Answer number one. I'm I'm sorry. I spoke out of line. Yes, Ronnie, you are correct. 5,772 years ago. But that's not the only answer. There's another answer. When did God create the world? Every moment God creates the world. Every single moment. Because the creation, although I said that the world of nature was created long ago, and it was just programmed in the matrix and it hasn't changed, the reality is, is that God is constantly programming the world of nature. It's just that the program stays the same. But at any moment, he could change that program. So the reality is, is that the world was created thousands of years ago, or millions of years ago, or billions of years ago, however you want to look at it. But it was also created just a few months ago, Rosh Hashanah. And it was also created on Rosh Chodesh, which was a month ago. And it's also created on Shabbos, which was a few days ago. And it's also created this very moment. What do I mean by that? So the answer is is that there are different there are different influxes of creative energy that come into the world at different time periods so the the world itself was created when the world was created however many thousands or millions or billions of years ago that was but the orachaim the great kabbalist from morocco says that really when god created the world he only created a world with enough power to exist for 7 days created a seven day world and then every shabbos he starts over again and that's why friday saturday night multi shabbos we light the candle signifying the creation of light that we're beginning a new week Shavuotov. this should be a new week a new beginning and and just before shabbos ends the creative energy is coming into the world again we can tap into that energy and right before shabbos we can tap into that energy so friday is a day of introspection of of trying to prepare yourself for a new existence that's going to come into the world through shabbos and and the end of shabbos so too every 30 days rosh chodesh there's a new beginning there's a new energy that comes into the world for the next 30 days another level of creativity that comes into the world a bigger level the energy for the whole month and actually we bless the new month on the Shabbos before the new month, before Rosh Chodesh, we say a special blessing because the energy for the new month comes down from the previous Shabbos. Shabbos brings energy to the world again, so, and so too every Rosh Hashanah. There's another level of creative energy that comes into the world every year. And again, we can tap into the power of, of creation on Rosh Hashanah. So these are moments of tapping into it. But the reality is that every second God is recreating the world. So any second we can tap into the power of recreation. Of recreating ourselves. So what's the significance of the word Rosh Chodesh? Rosh Hashanah? What's a Rosh? A Rosh means a head. Because the head is the master computer for the whole body. Inside the head is the program, the DNA of everything that's coming after it. So too, Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Chodesh is the program that is going to then determine the next period of time. So it's the ability to tap into the big picture, the big picture energy of creation. So now, what's going on with the 10 plagues? So there, is there a coincidence here? that there are ten of them what else are there ten of in judaism commandments putting him aside ten commandments what else any other tens ten spheres excellent ten mystical energies with which god created the world which actually corresponds to something else that there are 10 of which you might not be familiar with the talmud i actually just learned two days ago in the the daf yomi cycle that we finish the talmud every seven and a half years so two days ago we learned a piece of talmud which says that the world was created with 10 sayings 10 times God said let there be So the world was created with 10 sayings and the Hasidic texts explain that the and the Kabbalistic texts that the the 10 plagues were deconstructing the world that was created with 10 sayings God created a physical world with 10 sayings the plagues were literally peeling off the layers of creation getting back to nothingness in order to rebuild the world with 10 commandments that it was the beginning of a new world order a new creation and i want to explain to you what that means but let's let's break it down without going into all of them and i'm not i've heard it said but i i personally don't know how it how it lines up perfectly but um if we put it together in this week's partial, we have three, the last three plagues. So going backwards, those correspond to the first three sayings with which the world was created. So the, th- the seventh plague is the plague of locusts, which block out the sky. The third saying of creation was let there be a firmament, a firmament, let there be a sky. Okay? The, s- the night plague was the plague of darkness, corresponding to the second saying of creation, which was, let there be light. See how it works? Now, what was the first saying of creation? And in this, the Talmud has something to say the Talmud says the world was created with ten sayings. But says the Talmud, but God only spoke nine times in the Torah. So how could it be? So says the Talmud, the first saying was the first word of the Torah. It doesn't say let there be. What's the first word of the Torah? Bereshis. Which means, it's it translated loosely as in the beginning. In the beginning, says the Talmud, was also a speech, speech of God. It didn't say let there be because there was nothing to speak to. But that word in the beginning is the hidden speech of God. That's what the Talmud says. So what's the significance of the word in the beginning? Says the Ramban, the great medieval Kabbalists, that the word beratius corresponds to the first sphera. That Tatiana mentioned the first spiritual emanation the first divine character trait which is called chachma, which means um, insight big picture inspiration and this is referred to as the head of God so to speak the brain of God the first spark of an idea to create And says the Ramban, every first in the Torah, every mitzvah that celebrates a first is really corresponding to this spiritual energy of the first big picture insight. There are three or really four components of the brain, according to Kabbalah. And these are ways that God's brain, so to speak, manifests itself. And they also correspond to the way our brain works. The first is called, uh, the really the really first which is not always counted is something called Kesser, which is the crown which is actually above the brain that's a, a desire that exists beyond us then comes something called chachma which falls into our brain which is an uh, like a light bulb like uh that big picture insight where you get like in a the the metaphor usually given is a person who wants to build a house so first they have this spark of a desire i wish i had a house And that's beyond them. And that's not always counted in in these 10 different energies. Then comes the first, which is part of you, which is in a flash of an instant, the lightning strikes, and you have this big picture vision of how you want your house to look. That's called Chachma. Then comes something called Bina, which is fleshing out the ideas, drawing out the maps and the calculations. That's left brain. Right brain is Chachma, big picture, clarity. Left brain is cognition breaking it down into its parts and then comes something called das which is knowledge where the idea comes together becomes part of you and that gives birth to the emotions once you get something and it sinks in now you feel it and then your emotions lead to action you ever notice that you can know something but it doesn't change your life you know why that is Everyone knows smoking kills. Everyone knows they should be going to sleep earlier, eating healthier, exercising more, studying for their tests earlier. We all know all the stuff we should be doing, and yet we don't do it. you know why? Because we might, it's up here, but it's not in here. It hasn't sunk down. That means we don't really know it. If you really know something, if you really get it, then it affects your emotions. Your emotions affect your actions. Knowing something will not change your life. You don't act based on your brain. You act based on your emotions, which communicate with the body. The body and the brain speak two completely different languages. You need a modem to connect them. That's the heart. The emotions lead to action, right? The only time a person quits smoking is when they see a loved one die of smoking. Then it hits home that smoking kills. Until it hits home into the emotional realm or until they really get it, so then it's not going to affect you it's just going to be in the realm of the intellect so our job is to bring what we know into our heart says uh, qu- attributed to many a couple of different sages in jewish history the greatest distance in the universe is not between heaven and earth you know what the greatest difference distance in the universe is between the head and the heart so there, um, there are some Hasidic Hasidim Hasidic groups that don't wear ties because they say our job is to connect the head and the heart, not to cut off the head from the heart. I personally don't don't like wearing ties myself, um, not really for that reason. <laughs> so, um, so now, so, so the. The first saying is in the beginning, and all the mitzvahs that have to do with beginnings, such as the first shearing, the first of your crop, the firstborn, the first of your field, all these different things correspond to that first energy. So, what plague corresponds to in the beginning? Death of the first excellent death of the firstborn so but there's an interlude that's right the last plague corresponds to the first saying because we're going backwards we're deconstructing creation but there's an interlude between darkness between the plague of darkness and the death of the firstborn there's an interlude what's that interlude the first mitzvah given to the jewish people to count the new moon While, no it's that you seeing the new moon going to the to the court testifying that two people saw the new moon and that, then the the court declares this is the new moon because remember the new the monthly cycle is 29 and a half days but it's not always visible the moon is very hard to see in that first sliver of light when the first moon appears because the moon one second. The moon, I'm explaining. The moon appears in the, at the, on the, the first day of the cycle immediately after sunset. So it's extremely hard to see because it's a sliver moon and it's only visible in the sky for a split second. So the new moon can either be seen on the 30th day or on the 31st day. And because it's variable of when that moon is going to be sighted and it's dependent on us, the, we determine when the new moon month begins. It's in our hands to determine when the new moon begins. And what's quite controversial about this is if it's in our hands to determine when the new moon is seen, so what's also in our hands? What's dependent upon? What's dependent upon? Okay, the end of the previous month, but what, what coming up in the next month, possibly, is determined by us? What takes place in a Jewish month sometimes? Holidays. The holidays are completely up to us. We determine when the, that spiritual energy comes into the world. We determine when you're not allowed to work. As opposed to Shabbos, which is set seven days, every seven days. Shabbos celebrates the world of nature. Seven days, it's fixed. doesn't change. It's the spirituality within the natural world. But the holidays are determined completely by us. They signify the supernatural. So right before God kills the firstborn, brings the world back to the process of starting over, of going back to the world before creation, literally about to start over, he gives over to us the most incredible gift in the universe. Do you know what he gives us? The power of time. He gives us literally the keys to creation. He says, you're now able to create time. You have the power to sanctify time. You are now going to be my partner in recreating the world. So literally the world is brought back to nothingness and void. And now We are a partner in rebuilding creation because now we have the power to start time over again. It's literally the first mitzvah. We're rebuilding the world. And that's why Friday night when we make Kiddush, we say that Kiddush on on a cup of wine Friday night, we say that it's a remembrance of Yitzchus Mitzrayim it's a remembrance of the exodus from egypt and we also say it's a remembrance to the act of creation why is it why do why is both those things the answer is because we're commemorating the fact that there are two beginnings to the universe one is the beginning of the universe that took place thousands or millions or billions of years ago and the other is the creation of the universe that started at the exodus of egypt when the jewish people became the new partners with god in creating a new world order a world of torah so and the talmud says that when a person makes kiddush they become partners with hashem in creation so why says rashi the torah should have begun with Ha with the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. The Torah should have begun in this week's Parsha. Why? Because this is the beginning of creation. This week's parsha is the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of the world as that matters. The world of the Torah. The world of spirituality. The Torah's vision of revolutionizing the world. So why then did the Torah begin in? Genesis. What do we need that for? So says Rashi, a very cryptic statement. Rashi says someday the nations of the world are going to come, and this—listen to this prophecy. Someday the nations of the world are going to come, and they're going to say, "The Jews are thieves. They stole the land of Israel." Think about that. Think about how—if anyone who was paying attention to some of the rage discussions this past week, so. You guys are familiar that there were two Russian Jews who were beaten up or punched in Brooklyn uh, a week ago for wearing uh, an, an IDF sweatshirt, and the Congress, the um, councilwoman for for Brooklyn or for that neighborhood, posted that she wanted to make a protest of Jews coming out wearing their IDF sweatshirts, and they started the IDF shirt challenge that Rage was a part of, and that march that you might have seen pictures of and her twitter was bombed by hundreds of people saying yeah of course they deserve to get punched for wearing idf sweatshirts you know and uh you know what right do you have as a as a member of the united states government to promote a genocidal army you know like rashi on rashi knew what he was talking about someday the nations of the world are going to come and they're going to say the jews stole the land of israel so says rashi the torah started from Breshis to show us that God created the world and he could give it to whoever he wants. Barashis has an interesting expression. He says, Amo," that he showed his, the power of his acts to his people, that God was showing us that he created the world. He wanted to show how the beginning, how it started. So that we should know that the world wasn't always here. The world had a beginning, which is, of course, the foundation of, of our faith. But you could say something a little bit deeper now, that Hashem was showing the Jewish people the power of his acts. He was showing to his people literally the power he was, of his acts. He was giving to his people. He wanted us to know, just like I created the world, you can also create the world. I'm giving over my power to you. You're going to literally recreate the world with me. He showed us what's, po- what's possible with the power of speech, with the power of Torah to create reality. So now we can understand the significance at the end of the parsha of tefillin. As we mentioned, what is tefillin? We put the tefillin on the head, signifying the crown above the head or the chachma, the insight that descends into the head wraps around the brain both sides of the of of the intellect and rests on there's a knot that rests on the back of the spine where this where the head connects to the neck which signifies what's called das the connector between mind and body and then the straps descend over the heart and then the other box is on the arm touching the heart and the straps go down the arm signifying the, the thought going into your emotions leading into your action. And the the meditation of tefillin is that our mind should be completely bound up to God, which should descend into our heart and into our actions. That what we know should lead to what we do. And the Zohar actually says that the, the message of tefillin is to build a, a dwelling place for God in the world because the goal is that we should bring god into the world god didn't create a world that he should exist in the spiritual he already exists in the spiritual he wanted to bring brought into the physical that's the message of the jewish people so in conclusion we the jewish people the first mitzvah is to count time is to connect to the moon the power of newness That at every moment we can tap into the power of creation. There are times that are auspicious for tapping into the power of creation. Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Chodesh, Shabbos. These are moments when it's easier to tap into creative power. But really we can tap into it at any moment. Because under the sun, nothing is new. Under the sun, everything is the matrix program that was programmed at the beginning of time. But really, God is constantly programming it every second. And when we tap into that power, we can change the program. And that's why uh, Neo in the Matrix, you can tell this to John, there's a new Matrix that just came out. Neo, they say said, he said to him, when you realize that it's a Matrix, you don't need to dodge bullets. The bullets will stop because there are no bullets. It's all an illusion. The world of nature is an illusion. That's the idea of the supernatural. When we tap into the power and the recognition that everything is God. So then the laws of the matrix no longer bind us. You think this is air you're breathing? Um, So in conclusion. The message of the Exodus of Egypt is that we have the power to bring newness into existence at any moment. That's the first energy, what's called Roshis, the beginning, Chachma, the first inspiration, which is the power of newness. And when we tap into that big picture thinking, we can then truly inter- and and work on internalizing and meditating on that insight. It can actually shape our emotions and our actions which is the message of coming out of egypt a slave is someone who is unable to do what they want to do this is another conversation for another time but to be truly free means you truly do what you know to be true that's true freedom that's the goal of the exodus is for us to bring the oneness of God into every aspect of our life. So I want to wish you all a beautiful Shabbos and a beautiful month and a beautiful life. Questions, comments, disagreements.